ladies and gentlemen, from the WB Studios in Charlotte, North Carolina, it's another exciting edition of the Binge Buster Show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Binge Buster Show. I am super excited about this week's show, uh, bringing back my good friend Chris Plano. And this week we're going to be breaking down uh, one of WCW Classic Show's Fall Brawl 95 from the Asheville Civic Center. That was a tremendous, a tremendous show. Uh, that was like one of the, actually that was the very first time that I got to see Hulk Hogan live. Um, so, uh, you know, that was kind of a big, a big thing for me. I was always a little Hulk Hogan mark growing up as a, as a kid. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, I hope everybody is holding up. Uh, looks like we might be getting towards the end of this uh, Corona thing where maybe by chance, hopefully, we all might start to, get, to go back to work and start living a normal life. But uh, anyway, let's let's go ahead and get on to our to our show. Uh, we're gonna take a quick little break, uh, and when I come back, I am gonna have Chris Plano, and we're gonna talk Fall Brawl '95. A continuous bombardment of excitement is set for Fall Brawl with two title matches and two main events. Two men, Ric Flair and Arn Anderson, have carried each other through many battles. In this conflict, they will be on opposite sides of the firing line. Verbal assaults have battered and bruised their relationship. The lines have been drawn. They will meet in hand-to-hand combat in the match you always wanted to see but never thought you would in this fall brawl. The war zone will be lowered. The perimeter is permanent. Escape is impossible when WCW World Champion Hulk Hogan and his maniacs, Randy Macho Man Savage, Sting, and the new recruit Lex Luger, who's returned from behind enemy lines, will be sent to the front to battle the members of the Dungeon of Doom. The Taskmaster commands Ming, the face of terror, Zodiac, yes, no, Kamala, the Ugandan warrior, Shark to attack at will in the ultimate fighting arena at Fall Brawl in the War Games. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Binge Buster Show, and I welcome my co host this week, Chris Plano. Chris, how are you? Tony, how are you? I'm I'm so excited to be back here again. I, I, I I'm so elated every time you call me up or email or text message me and say, Hey, listen, you want to be on the Bench Buster show this week again and you know you already know what the answer is gonna be before you ask the question, but that's that's okay. And uh, I, I'm so excited. We're we're talking about wrestling twenty five years ago. Asheville, North Carolina, WCW Fall Brawl and it's I'm so excited because it was a great time for professional wrestling in the mid-90s and a lot of transition going on at that time as well. So I'm so happy you uh, passed the baton to me and said, I want to I work this with you, and, uh, and let's, let's do it. Yeah, it's, it's, always a, it's always fun to talk to you. It's like you and I are always on. It's like you and I have some, a lot of the same common interests. We like the same music. Uh, our, our philosophy on the pro wrestling business is is real close to being the exact same 
uh, we've been friends for such a long time and, and getting, to, you know, to do a podcast with you each, you know, each week, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. Uh, now what I did was I went back and done a little, um, a little, um, uh, studying on the, on the actual fall brawl, not just fall brawl, but you know, the, the main event at all the fall brawl started, uh, it become the war games, but way before fall brawl, uh, the way the the actual match of the war game started, uh, the war games match was actually created by Dusty Rhodes. When uh, one day he was he was inspired by by watching the movie Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, and when he watched that movie, he said, "Hmm, I think I can take this movie and turn it into a wrestling match and make some money with the Horsemen," and that's pretty much what he did. Uh, it was originally used as a special match. Between usually Dusty Rhodes, the the Road Warriors, and Nikita Koloff against the Four Horsemen. That was the very first War Games. Uh, it was held in, at the, um, the Omni in Atlanta and at, during the Great American Bash in 1987. Um, and but there, but there it was called War Games: The Match Beyond. Uh, and now it has became a uh, traditional fall brawl event. It ran from uh, they they done fall WCW done fall brawl. Uh, from 1993 to 1998, and all those years, it was always Fall Brawl, the, the War Games. And, Chris, I had the pleasure of attending most of those Fall Brawls that they had because they started out, they had this one uh, in 95 in Asheville. That was the first one they did in North Carolina. And then after that, it kind of become a North Carolina tradition for, pay, for pay-per-views for WCW. Uh, but they moved it from Asheville and started doing it, as you remember, in Winston Salem, um, and that and I went to several of those, especially when the NWO was hot. Um, but the War Games, right. if 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 you never got to see a War Games match live, you you definitely missed out. A lot of drama involved, a lot of excitement. Um, the, the 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 but the thing about the War Games that I didn't like, Chris, is like you always knew the outcome. I mean, no matter no matter who they put in there, you knew that the Hills were losing. And I and I and I kind of hated that because it kind of took it away from um, you know from from making it you know more exciting. I think. Right, right. That was always the the, the build up to the pay per view to the to the war games. And and you're you're so right. Dusty Rhodes was the mastermind of the war games. In in quotation, it was the match beyond, and it was the match beyond. Those words to a wrestling fan, it was something that I may or may never see with another wrestling organization. This is something I have to see. Two rings, double steel cage, roof on top, nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. This is the match I want to see. And I think that's kind of what War Games was built around. And obviously the Four Horsemen had a lot to play with that early on. And Dusty Rhodes, you go... Nikita Koloff, Magnum TA, and, and the list goes on and on. But it was a it was a match that you did not see with other wrestling organizations throughout the country or really around the world, and it really worked for the NWA because they they sold it as long as they could, and and then turned it into Fall Brawl and a lot of other other type of um, matches. But it really worked over the years. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was definitely a a draw for the full horsemen. Uh, they were always, um, you know, it, it, the horsemen were in the the war games more than anybody. Anybody, 
Um, even Dusty Rhodes. I mean, the horsemen were there long after Dusty had left. So when I say horsemen, I'm talking about Flair and Arn. Um, you know, they were they were in a lot of those war games. But uh, getting to uh, Fall Brawl 95, Asheville Civic Center, uh, it took place on September 17th, 1995, 6,600 in attendance. And, yes, Chris and I were two of those 6,600. We were there. Uh, Chris, uh, before we went on air, Chris had told me a, a, a funny story, and I'll let him share that here in a little bit. Um, but uh, but the, one of the cool things about this fall brawl, Chris, if you remember, this was uh, the debut of Eddie Guerrero in WCW. It absolutely was. It was Eddie Guerrero's debut match for WCW, and who knew how big he was going to explode within world championship wrestling and just wrestling in general. Took on Alex Wright in a um, in a pre-show dark match, per se, um, about a six-minute match. But look where Eddie Guerrero took his career, really, from September 90. 90- 95, and then obviously Eddie's not with us today, but, you know, who would have known? I mean, I really yeah. it really needed to click to me that that was his debut match with WCW when I was sitting there in my seat in the arena that evening. I don't know if it did for you, but that is a, a true fact about the show and um, one that will always be with that particular pay-per-view for, for, for history. Yeah. No, Um. I, I had no clue that he was going to be there. I mean, uh, for the, for that matter, during that time, I was just starting to watch ECW. Really, actually, was able to get it, you know, um, where I lived. Um, but but by that time, ECW had you know had pretty much taken off. But I kind of caught it there, you know, on the backside before it got mainstream. But uh, but I know he was he was there, and then of course when he came out there in um, Fall Brawl, uh, the the crowd went nuts because they you know. They they knew who he was just from ECW, but uh, but yeah, they actually did have um, a a few dark matches uh, that that were on before uh, the pay per view started. They had Big Bubba Rogers in the opening match against Mark Thorne. Uh, of course, Bubba uh, wins that match in one minute four seconds. Then the Disco Inferno uh, defeated Joey Mags. Uh, of course, like we just touched on, Alex Wright uh, wrestled Eddie Guerrero to a no contest. Um, they went six minutes, 36 seconds. Um, then that was Eddie Guerrero's debut for WCW. And then we had a, a tag team match, the American males, Marcus Buff Bagwell and Scotty Riggs. Uh, they defeated the nasty boys, Brian Nobbs and Jerry Sags, uh, four minutes, 15 seconds. And then of course the pay-per-view started, uh, and the opening match, Chris, that match, it blew me away. Uh, I, for one, I couldn't believe that on a pay-per-view they would have a the opening match go double overtime, 29 minutes, 14 seconds, but Johnny B. Bad defeated Brian Pillman. And that match, literally, I mean, besides the Arn and Flair match, that match kind of stole the show. I mean, Tony, I don't think you would ever see an opening match in – professional wrestling today, you name the organization that would put an opening match on to go 30 minutes. Yeah. And Johnny B. Bad and Brian Pillman, a very you know young Brian Pillman at that time, really stole the show and really was kind of a, a sort of a, a, a stage for Johnny B. Bad as well because he kind of catapulted 
uh, off of this match as well into more great things with WCW. And but it, it was an interesting opening match. Um, it was one, I think, that caught the fans off guard. It was a great technical match. And for 30 minutes, you were entertained from what you saw in the pre-show because in the pre-show you saw a lot of quick one, two, three, six-minute matches. And all of a sudden, okay, we, we, we've got some wrestling here tonight. We're you know, chopping into the meat of this pay-per-view. And they really set the stage. They might have even, you know, you know, upsold uh, a few of the the matches coming ahead of them based on what they did in the opening match there. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, and 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 what I liked so much about the match was it, the, the the story that they were telling was you 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 in your in your mind you thought maybe Brian Pillman was a heel but you wasn't sure because the crowd would go back and forth they would they would cheer Brian then they would, they would cheer Johnny and there there were there really wasn't any heel tactics going on in this match it was just a a scientific back and forth like game of chess type of wrestling match that that kept you on the edge of your seat and they they would have a time limit draw and then say you know get start the match give us five more minutes and they did that, and then finally, Johnny B. Bad was able to um, to pull it out. And and actually, the way that match ended, if you remember, uh, they both men went for the high cross body, but mm-hmm. but but because Johnny B. Bad outweighed Brian Pillman, he he was actually able to 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 put Brian's uh, shoulders to the mat and get the one two three and tremendous match. I, I totally enjoyed it. Uh, but then going on to the next match. Um, I uh the next match just didn't do it for me. Um it may have it may have you it, it, it was more of a special attraction but and and they were trying to play off the fall brawl the 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 um the 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 military style um um gimmick that they were running but they put uh Craig Pitbull Pittman against the Cobra and that match was just <laughs> I mean, I just didn't. Uh, I wasn't feeling that match. Uh, what about you? I, I, I mean, Tony, if they had enough time to take their jackets off before they locked up, it was probably too much time. Uh, yeah, I, I've got an official time of one minute twenty-two seconds in that match. Um, I mean, Craig Pitbull Pittman um, had a nice little run in WCW. Was definitely between you and I not the most skilled wrestler uh-huh. in WCW. Right. Uh, the Cobra, they were trying to do the military. They were doing, trying to do a lot of things with this match. Um, probably they were telling the ref to take this home before it even, <laughs> the bell even rang. Yeah. And I, I think they were really just trying to move on to the next match. They were there. They were in attendance. The people saw them. But at the end of the day, uh, the match really, there was no storyline. I mean, beyond the pay-per-view, there was really no storyline beyond this match. I know Craig Pittman went on to do some other things with WCW for several years, mm-hmm. trying to repurpose them, repackage them, however that may be. But at the end of the day, it was, um, I think some fans were heading to the concession stands and the restrooms and um, maybe uh, <laughs> talking to whoever was next to them at that point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, but, but, but I will tell you this, the coolest thing of, of, that, of that match was Craig Pittman's uh, entrance. Um, he actually catapulted from the ceiling. 
uh, kind of like a par- yeah. like a paratrooper. Uh, he put yeah. the, he put the knife in his mouth and he, he crawled on the on the ring and and so the cobra didn't see him coming till boom he he, he dropped him but uh, it was it, you know it was cool but I'm, but I'm like you if it, it went like a minute and something and I'm glad, I'm glad it didn't go any further um, but that takes us to our next match now the next match was one of the matches I was so excited to um, to see because at that time. Diamond Dallas Page was getting over, and I loved his gimmick, and I loved the diamond cutter. Uh, that ma- mm-hmm. that that finishing move was just so over. I mean, it was over from the moment he started doing it, and even though he was a heel, the the crowd was starting to really, you know, buy into Diamond Dallas Page. Uh, but it was Diamond Dallas Page with the diamond doll and Max Muscle, uh, and Diamond Dallas Page became the new WCW World Television Champion as he defeated the. Renegade, the Ultimate Warrior ripoff, um, eight minutes and seven seconds. But I was so mad because right, right during the Craig Pittman match, uh, the girl I was dating at the time was like, "Hey, I need some popcorn." I'm like, "Go get it." I'm watching wrestling. I'm sure she did. You know, I want popcorn. I want some pop. I want some. So me being a gentleman I was at the time, I got up and I went and got her popcorn. And as I'm in the popcorn stand waiting in that long line, I hear uh, I hear the ring announcer, Michael Capetta, you know, um, or, I'm sorry, not get Michael Capetta, but the ring announcer. I can't remember his name right now. But yeah. um, anyway, I hear him say, Diamond Dallas. Pay-. I was so mad. I was like, come on, come on. And But I, I got out of the line, got back to my seat just in time to see him drop the diamond cutter and win the TV strap. So I, I was able to at least at least see that, but man, just I have a philosophy, okay, and, and you know this. I've told you this before, but when I pay these crazy monies a lot of time to go to a concert or go to a a wrestling event, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to leave my seat. I, I I get there, you know. I always I always try to get to a show that I'm I'm attending an hour early. That way, I got time to get to the gimmick stand, get my drink, get my popcorn, or whatever I'm eating. Right. And sit down and just enjoy that whole show. But most of all, I feel like I'm getting my money's worth. But I feel like right. you know, it, it blows my mind how many people will pay two, three, four thousand dollars, whatever, for these concert tickets and these wrestling right. match tickets, and they spend half their time at the popcorn stand. I mean, come on, you know, I, I can't do it. And I'm not going to do it. But anyway, that, that was. That was my sob bitch story from Fall Barrel '95. Um, that, that, that is, that's a classic story, Tony. I mean, you you can't script it much better than that. You know, the interesting thing about this match it was for the WCW World Television Championship, double duty for the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, who was the manager of the Renegade, who yes. walked into that match with the title. Jimmy Hart would be seen later that evening. In the main event in War Games, yeah, because at the time he Hulkamaniac. was Yep, he was managing Hogan, uh, and then later on, and, and, later on, and Weaver. I know everyone is you know Diamond Dallas Page, you know, over hot wrestler, this and that, but this was kind of really this match was a little bit before he really exploded mm-hmm. in World Championship Wrestling overall as a as a singles wrestler. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the Diamond Carter was in, it was in, and the Renegade was a terrible champion. And actually, I read something online earlier today that after this match, they sent the Renegade back down to the WCW power plant. 
Yeah, yeah. Believe it or not. And and I'll, um, I I remember that. And I'll tell you something else about the Renegade. Um, I had a, a, shortly after this, um, they uh, I, I think it's after this, or it might have been right before this. Uh, it was it it was a few uh, it, that summer before that. Um, WCW, uh, like in June or July, WCW mm-hmm. came to Charlotte at the um at the at the time it was Independence Arena. And um, I went, I had uh, second row uh, ringside seats. And at the time, um, the, the Renegade was the, the, the television champion. And on that card, he defended the TV belt against um, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. And, uh, man, what, what a tremendous match uh, that was. Uh, it was good, but, but sitting on the second row, I could hear everything. It wasn't sold out by any means. The main event on the show was uh, Flair against Savage. Uh, and what was so funny about that show was on TV, uh, Flair's the heel, Savage is the baby face. But it was a house show, and, we, and it was in Charlotte. So they pretty much reversed roles. You know, Savage was the heel, Flair was the baby, was the baby face. But, but Maybe that, a little tougher Savage on that show. Oh, yeah. But, but <laughs> I remember what got me on the subject about that show is just the renegade at the time, you know, you, you could just tell he was just one of those guys. He had a good look. He had a body, but he hadn't, you know, he definitely wasn't trained. Uh, so I don't know if maybe, and, and I know he came from the power plant. So I don't know if maybe they just try to rush him on TV so that they could get that reaction um, and make people think that he's the ultimate warrior. I'm not sure. Right. And, and, right. And you kind of hit on something there. And this was kind of, um, I don't want to say Renegade 2.0, but mm-hmm. I think it was kind of an extension of this is WCW's version of, I don't want to say quote-unquote the ultimate warrior, mm-hmm. but it, I think it was very much a lean to a play to that. It was, yeah, it was definitely a lean towards it. It was a, uh, you know, the stories I heard uh, backstage was the fact that Hogan brought him in because he wanted to he wanted them to get him over so that he could go and beat him to get his way back at, at, you know, the loss to ultimate warrior. I, you know, I, I don't know how much truth is that, you know, you hear a lot of rumors. So, um, I actually never heard that straight, straight from Hogan. So I don't know, but, um, but I do know that the, uh, the renegade was definitely, he definitely didn't deserve the spot he had on TV at the time. Uh, but that's, that's how it goes. But, uh, it takes us now to, uh, the next match, which was for the, uh, WCW world tag team titles, uh, Harlem Heat, Booker T, and Stevie Ray with Sister Sherry um, would uh, defeat Bunkhouse Buck, Dirty Dick Slater with Colonel Robert Parker. And um, and during this match, you got two rings. And, of course, Ro- Robert Parker and, and Sherry uh, was doing their little, love ge- their little love gimmick. And I actually got to uh, spend a little time with Ro- Robert Parker, you know, uh, back a few months ago. And, he and I done a road trip together and he, and he and I were talking about that. Uh, and he said, uh, he, and he said, you know, what a great, you know, how great it was working with, uh, with, um, Booker T and Stevie Ray and, uh, of course, sister Sherry. And, and oddly enough, he told me this story too, this, and I don't know if you know the story, Chris, you probably do, but it's funny. Um, so originally he was the manager of Booker T and Stevie Ray. When they first came to WCW, they were known as as um, uh, the Cole Brothers. 
uh, Kent and something else. But but he said their first appearance on WCW Saturday Night. Um, the gimmick was Colonel Robert Parker. The uh, the gimmick was they they were escaped uh, convicts from prison, and so he said he brought them to the ring. So here he is wearing you know wearing his white you know um, Colonel Colonel uh, Park or you know Colonel from Colonel Sanders his Colonel his white Colonel Sanders um, uh, suit, and he brings uh, Harlem Heat to the ring. And of course, they wasn't called Harlem Heat yet, but they were called the the Cold Twins, and they come out and. Um, Wearing the uh, the prison uniforms and they had chains around their necks, and he said that they come out and they worked the match, and as soon as they got done, uh, WCW committee they're down there calling, "What are y'all trying to do? What are you talking about?" And he said they 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 try to play the race card, and uh, Booker T was wow. like, ah, "This was, and Booker T was the one that came up with the idea of, "Hey, let's let's be these escape prison guys and we will have the chains and." But the way, you know, the people and, and what, what Colonel Robert told me is that, you know, the people watching this are not people that watch wrestling, but they just happen to see it and say, oh, what are they doing? They're, they're trying to say this guy's a slave. He's a, you know, they're slaves to him. And he goes, we almost got fired. He's like, so they took us off TV for like two months and revamped our gimmick. He goes, and then that that's when they decided, hey, we're going to put Harlem Heat. We're going to call him Harlem Heat and we're going to give him Sherry. <laughs> And that, and and he said he said that was probably the best thing for them because she really added uh, layers to to their gimmick. Wow, absolutely! You know, and I had the opportunity to to you know, and I'm going to go back to to Colonel Parker. You and I know Jimmy Golden's a great guy. Mm-hmm. When it when it comes to the professional wrestling industry, I mean that guy. Absolutely. Harlem Heat in this match, I don't even know this, Tony, they won the strap that night and then lost it the next night on Nitro. Yeah, I remember that. And then regained the title the following week. Oh, yeah. Absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, you know talk, talking about Jimmy Golden uh, and some of you fans at home listening, if you don't know who Jimmy Golden is, he was actually, uh, that's his real name, but bunkhouse buck was his gimmick and of course we all you know everybody's got a story about dick slater just a tough guy but um but i'll I'll never forget man uh, i got the opportunity one night to tag with uh with bunkhouse buck and of course he and i were going to be doing a bunkhouse tag match and we were working a couple guys and um so i was trying to go off memory and dress like him you know because i was like okay you know we're we're doing this bunkhouse match, so I'm I'm gonna dress like bunkhouse Buck. And the funny, the funniest thing, you know, you know, Buck used to carry that 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 little rope to the ring. So, uh, so the so the day of the show, I'm like, I I, I got I got to go get me a rope like like Bucks. So I go and um and I, I go to a little hardware store. Well, they didn't have any small rope; they just had this big fat one, right? So I tell the guys like, you know, I, I need like you know three feet of rope. Just cut me off three feet. It's all I need. And of course, back then my gimmick was like every girl's dream. So I had found this really cool T-shirt that said "Lean, Mean, Loving Machine." So here I am, uh, teaming with Buck, yep. and I'm wearing this shirt, "Lean, Mean, Loving Machine," and Buck is, uh, of course, wearing his bunkhouse Buck gimmick, and he's got his rope, and we're out there, and he's looking at me, he goes, "Brother, I like this." He said, "He said you, you, you know, you, you're 
you got the you got the right idea. We're you know we're we're doing this bunkhouse match. We're dressed alike. This is great. He goes, but I'm a little pissed off. And I said, oh yeah, why? He goes, because your thing is bigger than mine. <laughs> I thought that was the funniest thing <laughs> from Buck. He of course right. he, he was referring to my rope, but because my rope was so much fatter and bigger than the one he carried, but it was so cool. But but I remember if you go back, uh, uh, another funny bunkhouse Buck story uh, that I, I every time I see him, I have to I, I kind of rib him on it. But if you go back and watch, I'm trying to remember the pay-per-view. Uh, I don't remember the name of it. I think it might have been like Slamboree or something. But uh, this was in 94 uh, when he had his little feud with Dustin Rhodes. So he and Dustin right. were doing a pay-per-view, uh, I mean a bunkhouse match on this pay-per-view. And he said Dustin brought this stick to the ring. And, of course, Buck took it from Dustin, and they're on the floor. And – Buck whacked Dustin in the back with his stick. Well, the stick broke and flew out into the crowd. And, of course, of course, it hit a mark. And Buck's like, this guy starts talking about, you. I'm going to sue you. I'm going to sue you. You hit me with this stick. And Buck said, I couldn't think of nothing to say to this guy except one thing. He, If you go back and watch the spare view, the camera is right in Buck's face. And Buck, in his country voice, he said, I'm, 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 I'm going to try to imitate him. Anyway, he yells to him. He goes, sit down, geek. Sound you stupid bastard. <laughs> it's the funniest thing, right? And so every time I see Buck, I always well, the first time I met him, I told him a story. I said, I said, Man, I said, I loved your work with Dustin and I, I said, but my favorite thing was and I told him that. He goes, Oh yeah, and that's when he told me the, the Mark was in the crowd trying to say you know that, that that Buck hit him on purpose. He said, But I you know, I hit the, I hit Dustin with the stick, the stick broke and splintered off and flew out into the crowd. He said, I didn't know I didn't know it was even going to do that, much less hit somebody. He said, and this guy talking about he's going to sue me. I said, yeah, I sound geek. Sound, you stupid bastard. So now every time I see Buck, that's the first thing I say to him. I'll sound, geek. Sound, you stupid bastard. And he'll come and put me in a headlock. And uh, and he remembers it like and, it was yesterday. And he remembers it. Yeah, yeah. And he and he always, <laughs> uh, you know, he uh, Buck, Buck and I, we, we've uh, got a chance to work together a lot. And uh, super nice guy. He was, um, uh, he was actually at WrestleCade with me. Uh, this this past uh, this past November and uh, uh, ha- I had my little my binge buster show g- gimmick table and he came over and spoke to me and of course him and Robert Parker were doing photo ops and they were dressing their gimmicks and uh, bunkhouse book mm-hmm. and it was, it was really cool and it's cool to see those guys and uh, but 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 like you said man Jimmy Golden's he's he, he's a classic huh he's a funny guy uh, but after this tag match um, like you said. Um, it, it you know it, it ventured off into a lot of different things, but uh, Harlem Heat was definitely uh, one of the most over tag teams during uh, the during the nineties and and up into uh, late nineties of WCW. I mean they were they were on top all the time. Absolutely, I mean yeah, I know they dropped the titles the next night. They won it the following week, you know against you know Buff Bagwell and Scotty Riggs back to back, but. No, this was Harlem Heat. They were with Sherry Martell. They were they were the tag team in WCW in the mid to late nineties. And you know, if you wanted to knock them off, you had to you had to bring your A plus game to the ring. And and WCW ran with them, and then yeah. they then they drew them money. I mean, from the tag team division angle, and you know, and and, and for both, um, you know, Booker, you know, Booker T. Now, I mean, he really exalted his career in professional wrestling, both as a singles wrestler and as a tag team wrestler, as a commentator, 
and beyond. So he really, and, and nothing against Stevie Ray at all. He may not have been interested in doing stuff like that, but Booker T really got the most out of his career. And really, you got to really take it to when, you know, WCW put Harlem Heat to the forefront. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and then another thing that Booker T done that a lot of people do, probably doesn't know um, is after his days there in WWE, uh, WWE uh, before he came back as a commentator, he actually uh, was running his own little territory uh, there in Houston, Texas. So he was actually a promoter as well. And I think he also had a wrestling school. So um, so Booker T is a very, very, very um, uh, great, uh, you know, great talent all the way around, uh, very successful uh, in the, in the wrestling business. And, uh, you know, I, and I'm sure now, like if, like he, right now he could probably have, uh, you know, a 10, uh, a, a 10 match, uh, with anybody on television. I mean, he, he, Booker T is very, very talented, great guy. Um, I, I, I always liked Harlem Heat. They were, they're like one of my favorite tag teams. Um, but the next match, the, uh, they, they, they build, they build, um, fall brawl as having two main events. Uh, but let's be honest, this next match we're about to talk about was the main event. This was the match that everybody was there to see. Uh, I'm talking about the match that everybody thought you, everybody wanted to see, but never thought you would. The enforcer, Arn Anderson, uh, facing his best friend and uh, uh, teammate, Nature Boy Ric Flair. They went 22 minutes, 37 seconds. Uh, and what was so cool about this match, Chris, if you remember, at ringside before this match started, a lot of wrestlers came to the came out and sat in the crowd to watch this match. And I think this was about the time that 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 your story takes place. Um, that you told me before we went on the air, but I thought that was so neat. Like, because I'm here looking at, I see Colonel Robert Parker and Bunk and uh, Big Bo Rogers sitting on one side. Then over here was American Males, and then over there was Brian Pillman and and Tom Zink, and so a lot of guys came out just to watch this match. Um, but I remember, uh, and I've and I've heard uh, Arn Anderson say this multiple times. But dur- but right before this match, Arn come, you know, Arn Arn cut a promo, and he said, as soon as the he got done with his promo, he went and puked in the trash can because his nerves were just on edge because he had so much respect uh, for Ric Flair, and now wasn't for the world title, but. He's going to. He's got to go out there and have a match with his best friend, and that had to be probably one of Arn's most most important matches of his career. Tony, I don't even know where to start with this match because uh, this was the main event for the evening at Fall Brawl '95. Nothing against the War Games. When it comes to the NWA. World Championship Wrestling, Jim Crockett Promotions. This was the main event. A rare match where Ric Flair was involved in a singles match where neither him or the opponent was the champion. So let it be. But with that said, Mm -hmm. with that said, it's great to see those young guys come out in the crowd because guys like Arn Anderson and Ric Flair that paved the way and they wanted to see Ric Flair walk the aisle one more time, whatever it was, was in his career and Rick had a great career beyond 1995, but it was for horseman country and 
one are you going to see two of the four horsemen, two of the original four horsemen go at it one-on-one in the ring. I can't think of another time they went at it and both of them left it all in the ring in some 22, 23 some odd minutes. And I know (laughs) they gave it all they got. That's all I could probably say when they left that evening in Nashville. Yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, that, that match, uh, I remember sitting there, uh, and I, and I said, I am not leaving this seat. I am not doing anything. I'm watching this. And I sat there and all those years as a little boy of my, my dad bringing me to the Greensboro Coliseum and seeing Arn and Flair just go in there and, and beat up Ricky Morton and beat up Dusty Rhodes and beat up Magnum TA and beat up Barry Windham and all the, 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 the things that they'd done. Uh, never in my wildest dreams would I ever thought I would see a match between Arn and Flair. And I have to say, Man, that match kept me on the edge of my seat the entire time. Uh, the 22 minutes and 37 seconds they were out there, they definitely had everybody uh, uh, invested. Uh, even, even, and I'm I'm sure even the boys in the back that that are part of the show was just glued to the monitors because this this right here was something special that everybody knew that they were about to watch, and they knew mm-hmm. that no matter what. No matter what, Hogan and Sting and Luger and Kamala and Shark and Ming and all those guys in the War Games done, no matter what they did, they wouldn't be able to touch that match. Or I'm no, sorry, absolutely. I'm, or, or, I'm sorry, they 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 uh, they wouldn't be able to follow that match. There's no way possible. No, no, absolutely. And listen, don't think when Ric Flair left the locker room that wasn't on his mind. <laughs> This oh, is my because yeah. remember Hogan came from the WWF. He's in he's in the WCW now. But with Flair, this is my territory. This is my backyard. Yeah, this is yeah. my dog. This is you it. know, this and is and my... I think that was still going on back then in the mid nineties because you had the influx of the WWF talent. Yeah, flowing into WCW, but you had still some of the NWA old school mentality bleeding over big time as well. And listen, those young guys out there, they're not looking just at the match, the psychology of the match, the moves and the counter moves and how they're reading each other in the ring. Those guys, if any wrestler coming up in the professional wrestling industry wants to learn from a match, I would find that match somewhere on social media or YouTube or somewhere you watch that for 22 minutes, you'll learn a whole hell of a lot. You, yeah, I don't say if, if you if you don't leave that if you don't watch that match and not learn something, then you have no business being in the sport of professional wrestling because mm-hmm. um, you, you know it's, it, it's impossible, impossible. Um, but one of the cool things uh, that I, that I, I liked about that match was how it was just. It wasn't like Flair taking the heat on Arn and just beating up Arn for 20 minutes or vice versa. It was a very evenly fought match. Flair Flair didn't change his gimmick. Arn didn't change his gimmick, but they went out there and put on a a wrestling uh a wrestling seminar for the boys uh for everybody. And then not only that, but you know, the finish of the match really blew my mind cuz 
never, never would I even thought of Brian Pillman jumping up in the ring and, you know, kicking Flair in the head and then Arn taking advantage of it. Boom, drops, drops Flair on the DDT, one, two, three. And I remember when Arn, when Arn beat Flair, you could hear a pin drop in that building. Uh, but then all the, all the wrestlers started chasing, you know, chasing Brian Pillman out of the arena. And that's kind of how they got everybody out of there. Um, but what a match. And then of course the very next night, uh, I think, I think, uh, I think nitro came from Johnson city, Tennessee, the very next night and they wrestled again, main event, flare and Arn, And again, they mm-hmm. tore the, they tore the house down. Um, I, I feel like if, if they had kept that little feud going with flare and Arn, that, that would have drew so much money, but it also would have buried Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan would have had a chance, um, you know, to, to be on top at that point. Boy, talk about what perfect booking Asheville on a, on a Sunday night, and you're just going hour and a half, two hours west to Johnson City, Tennessee, small southern town, mm-hmm. but it was packed, was it not, for Monday Nitro the next night? Yeah, it was and great. And they were chomping at the bit. Yeah, it was great. Um, and, and, and it was still that kind of southern wrestling that was still going today, and WCW ran with it. I mean, yeah. and, and it was great. But, no, I mean, from a test, it was the match of the show. Yeah, for with, sure. Without a mm-hmm. doubt. It, it, it Other definitely... than the opening match, I'll give it up to Johnny B. Bad and Pillman. And, hey, good for Brian Pillman involving himself in the flare match. Yeah. That helped him escalate mm-hmm. his career. Yeah. A little it, bit it more was, it was beyond good, the paper. It was good booking because uh, from a fan standpoint, sitting in the crowd, uh, everything that happened, you 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 know, you didn't you didn't imagine that happening. Like first match, Brian Pillman's kind of doing babyface gimmick. So I wouldn't have thought Brian would have got up there and tried to turn heel with Flair. And of course, Flair, you know, gives him the finger and tells him to stick it, and the, so and punches Brian. And then Brian jumps up and kicks him in the back of the head. He puts his head down. Arn drops him with that beautiful DDT that Arn does, and um, and then we and then we're off to the races. And now we've got two two of the full horsemen are now together, Arn and and Brian Pillman. Um, and then that was in September, and then they uh, played that feud out for you know uh, a, a month or so. And of course, in October, they do the Halloween Havoc and. Flair gets Sting to be his partner, and then of course the Horsemen, you know, turn on Sting, and now we're back off to the same races, same feud all over again. Flair and Sting, um, which is which is great. I love seeing Flair and Sting together. I, th- I think uh, I think they definitely have had great, you know, great chemi- great chemistry together, and I always enjoyed watching a Flair and Sting match. Um, but then after this, uh, it takes us to our main event, uh, the War Games. And this year, their their theme or their gimmick uh, was about all about the military. So Hogan, uh, Flair, I'm sorry, Hogan, Sting, Randy Savage, and the newly uh, Lex Luger, who had just came to WCW after leaving WWE, uh, teams up and they go on to uh, to face Kamala, the Zodiac, which is Brutus Beefcake, uh, the Shark. Um, which was uh, Avalanche and W or uh, Earthquake uh, and WWF, and then Ming, uh, who was just a tough, tough guy, 
with the uh, games master Kevin Sullivan. Now, an inside note, fans, when when Fall Brawl '95 was was advertised, um, it was uh, one of the things that it that it did was it um, it was supposed to have been Vader, but a few nights before Fall Brawl, Vader gets into a backstage fight with Mister Wonderful Paul Orndorff. And of course, Paul Orndorff was, you know, he was in the office. So uh, Vader ends up getting getting the boot, and uh, they they replace Vader with Lex Luger. So that's that that's why when when you watch the the previews, they talk about Vader, but Vader's not even there, and they don't even mention Vader. They just plug in Luger and and go on about the the, the match. But earlier in the day, uh, they recorded a match where, or they recorded a little promo out out back where uh, Hogan was out there with his Harley Davidson that the fans had bought him, and the giant rolls up in a monster truck and runs it over. You remember that, Chris? Yes, yes. I, I, I do. I remember that. It, had, it did happen several hours before the uh, pre-show went on, and this match was kind of a, a, um, a segue, a liaison, if you want to say, for Hogan to take on the giant one-on-one. But prior to that, when I look at this match and I kind of stand back now, 25 years later, again, like you and I, 25 years ago, we were in depth with professional wrestling. We, 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 we dialed in, we bought into it. But if you think about it, and I don't want to say this tongue in cheek, but it's kind of like Hulk Hogan, in a match with, you know, everyone he's wrestled in his career. Yeah, for if sure. You kind of think about it in a way, especially on the other side, when you think about Kamala, Earthquake, the Zodiac being Beefcake, and Ming, God, Hogan and Ming wrestled. I mean, easy match for Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. You'd have to think. But when you look at the skill of Hogan, Sting, Savage, and Luger, it totally outweighs the other side big time. Oh, yeah. From a skill standpoint. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, and actually, and I actually found something online today, Tony. I found a WCW Fall Brawl 95 VHS cover, and Vader's still on the cover. Oh, yeah. Well, if uh, you go to to the network, because that's how late the, the, the change yeah. was made. Yeah, I mean, it was made literally. I think it was two days uh, before Fall Brawl. Uh, they were at center stage in Atlanta doing their their TV tapings, and that's when Vader and Paul Orndorff got into a, an altercation. And the story I heard was Paul Orndorff whipped Vader's tail while Orndorff was wearing um, uh, shower slippers, so he. <laughs> He didn't have on. He wasn't even dressed, and whoop and and beat Vader up pretty good. So, of course, there's no secret. Paul Orndorff was a was a very tough guy, um, and I always liked Paul Orndorff. I always thought Orndorff had a, uh, you know, he was he was a great heel. I mean, he had that. Uh, you know, he walked into a room and and he bled heel. I mean, he was just arrogant, cocky, uh, and from the stories I heard, that's that was him in real life, and and so that that and that made him a good heel and made it made his character work. Oh no. Paul Orndorff was the perfect heel 
in the World Wrestling Federation. Actually, I hate to say this to you, my mother loved Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff. And, you know, he peaked, Paul Orndorff peaked in the WWF. And if you, I'm sure you remember, you remember the moment, you remember the scene when he clotheslined Hulk Hogan in the middle of the ring. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was the, that was the one that really put him, uh, I mean, he was already and, on the, he was already on the map, but that really put him there. Right. Uh, but jaws dropped mm-hmm. like, you know, Hogan, Hogan took the fall and that was the run for the WWF for Paul Larndorf. Yeah. He never really gained the title, but that was his run of being on top. Yeah. And incidentally, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story that's going to make you laugh, but when I was uh, uh, doing wrestling training and uh, knew I was going to start wrestling and I was trying to come up with my name, uh, I was actually go- originally going to call myself uh, Mr. Terrific instead of Terrific Tony. I was going to be Mr. Terrific. Right. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, you know, that that, that definitely would have uh, would not have been good. Uh, I remember uh, during that time I was like, you know, God, I got to come up with a cool name. I got to come up with a cool name. And everybody's telling me, Use your name. Tony Binge is a cool name. Uh, nah, nah, I don't want to be Tony Binge. So, big Motley Crew Mark, I, I am. So, originally, I was going to call myself Dr. Feelgood. I was going to do that. And I was like, nah, that won't fit me. Um, I like Kiss. So, I was going to be Dr. Love. And I was like, ah, nah, that sounds cheesy, too. I'm not going to do that. And then, one day, I was like, you know, Beautiful Bobby is one of my favorite wrestlers. So, I'm just going to be Terrific Tony. No last name. Just Terrific Tony. That'd be good. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's pretty much how I came up with my name. Uh, my cousin, who's now deceased, is actually the one that came up with the name with with my name, Terrific Tony. He was like, "Just call yourself Terrific Tony." I'm like, "No, I want to be Mister Terrific Tony." Being, and I was like, "No, nah, I don't want to use my real name." He's like, "You need to be Terrific Tony. That sounds cool." Okay, so for you know most of my wrestling career, that that was the name I went by, Terrific Tony. Now, just I, you know. Of course, now I got another gimmick that I that I run and wear a hood, and so. Um, but uh, but but now when I wrestle, they rarely ever call me Terrific Tony. Now it's just Tony Binge, and I go out there and 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 do my gimmick. And but uh, but but it's so crazy, man. Thinking about you know how much the wrestling business changed from uh, you know from from September seventeenth, nineteen ninety five. To today, um, you know, here in 2020, uh, you know, we had 6,600 people come watch this pay-per-view. Now, with this corona thing going on, we have nobody coming to the shows. But I'm, I'm, right. I'm hoping that that changes here pretty soon um, and we're all back to normal. Um, but but Fall Brawl, I, I, I always enjoyed Fall Brawl. And I, and I don't know if it's just because they always came to the Carolinas uh, during the nineties, but, uh, but I always, I always look forward to fall brawl. You know, some of the, the biggest storylines happened at fall brawl, uh, in the nineties, you know, after 95, 96, um, from 96 to like 99, the fall brawls were being held in, uh, Winston Salem, North Carolina. And it was the NWO versus, uh, WCW. And, uh, I remember, I believe it was, yeah. in 96. Yeah. 96, it was uh, Flair, uh, Arn, Luger, and Sting against the NWO of Hogan, Nash, Hall, 
and uh, they're fake sting, incidentally. Right. Um, and no, you're you're right. Classic matches at the Lawrence Joel Veterans Memorial Coliseum, the LJVM in Winston Salem, because when this fall brawl took place, it was ten months before. In July '96 is when the NWO, the New World Order, was formed. Mm-hmm. You know when. You and, know, and Scott wh- Hall, Kevin Nash, and what a great and gimmick. everyone jumped on the bandwagon. And what a great gimmick! And you know something, Chris? If you go back in time, uh, the NWO was actually starting in '95 because every time Hogan came out, no matter where he was at, every show I went to mm-hmm. in the Carolinas, he was booed out of the building. Booed out of the building. Because he was a WWF guy. Exactly. The, the, to the, an extent. Right. The fans from the South despised yeah. the WWF. You know, and they, they lived, bled, slept, the NWA, Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes, those guys. And, you know, when Hogan came over, you know, they they should have turned him heel the, when he first came. You know, I, but it was good that, you know, they waited a little while and built it up. But, man, when the NWO... I'm, when the NWO gimmick took off, it took off. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I mean, Tony, when you look at this fall brawl 95, it's a bleed over from the WWF. There's no doubt it is. I mean, look, you've got Bobby Heenan, a huge face in the WWF was commentating at the show. Mean Gene Okerlund. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking huge names that bled over and, it was kind of a, I'm not saying the um, WCW was going through an identity crisis at the time. I don't want to use the word crisis per se, but they were looking for something different that was going to separate themselves from the WWF because they had a lot of bleed over. You got yeah. Hogan, Savage on the show, Luger, um, you know, even the guys, Kamala, Zodiac, The Shark. Ming. I mean, those are all those are all WWF guys that were bleeding over. So, and then the NWO is what really kind of separated them. You know, somewhat a year later. Yeah, yeah. That when the NWO gimmick came, um, it, it came at the right time. Uh, and as a fan, I mean, I, I was I was wrestling then. I was doing my own. You know, you were doing shows. I was doing shows. Um, but at the end of the day, we were still wrestling fans, and we couldn't wait to watch Monday night to see what what was going to happen on the Monday night war because we knew it was going to be something big. Um, okay, so mm-hmm. something big was going to happen, and I, I remember, you know, I would I would constantly flip back and forth with my remote. Now I always taped WCW, and I'd watch WWF or WWE, but I, I still would flip back and forth because I'm like, okay, I've got. There, there's so many, there's so many things going on on both of these TVs. Uh, you, you're afraid by watching one, you're gonna miss something on the other. At least that's, that's how I felt a lot of times. Right, you were, you were flicking back and forth because you didn't want to miss the next big thing that was gonna happen. Mm-hmm. And, and one, I want to be a part of it. And one of the cool things that I missed most about the Monday Night Wars was how quick people would jump ship. You know, you have, and, and so it was always cool to see. Okay, who's coming now to join the NWO? You know, the, right. the 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 first few was great. Now, where I feel like that they killed the NWO gimmick was when they started having guys that were in WCW come over to the NWO. I, 
you know, to me, I didn't buy into that. But if they had kept bringing guys from the WWF that had made money in the WWF, when they come to WCW, put them right into the NWO, you know, I thought that that was cool because like because now. Sorry about that. Yeah, but but right there, it's like you knew. Um, it, 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 it's more believable. It's like, okay, the, the North has definitely infiltrated the South. They're here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. And, and, and it's a cool thing. Um, but, uh, but I remember, you know, advertisements for the, uh, for the fall brawl, uh, in 96 and, uh, you know, Hogan or Nash and Hall had just come in and the NWO thing was starting to get, it was baking. It was getting hot. Um, it, it was, it was a cool time. It was a cool time to be a wrestling fan. It was a great time to be a wrestling fan. And you had decisions you could make as a wrestling fan to what you wanted to follow, not follow, maybe follow. And, hey, the the war was just starting because the war was getting ready to pick up. And it did pick up about a year later, big time, off of this pay-per-view with the NWO. And we didn't mention this. We didn't mention this, Tony, and I know we got a little bit of time left, but several days before this pay-per-view, there was a man by the name of Steve Austin that was let go by WCW. Yes. Before this pay-per-view. Yeah, that, and that that right there was, was one of the things that, um, that, that they actually... Um, well, I was was actually one of the biggest mistakes that WCW made, but you know, Steve Austin, I, I don't think he ever would have got a chance to be Stone Cold in WCW. Mm-hmm. No, he never did. And then Vince McMahon took Stone Cold Steve Austin, that character, reshaped it a little bit, and then took it to the next level, yeah. beyond the next level. Yeah. For what became, you know, beyond the WWF into the grunge era and everything else that they went with, and obviously McMahon was sparring with him along the way. So, I mean, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, it was it was a, definitely a, um, a cool time. Um, but uh, which, which takes us to uh, next week's show, fans. You're going to have to tune in to find out what uh, classic pay-per-view that Chris and I are going to cover next week and break down for you. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be really cool. Uh, and hopefully next week when Chris and I return, we'll be able to say, Hey, uh, we're back to work. Of course I am back to work. I got lucky enough to go back to work last week. Uh, and of course I'm lucky fans. I, I get to work. I work. I'm, I'm not just a, a famous podcaster. I'm not just a famous pro wrestler. I'm not just, but I actually do have a, a, a state job. State employee, mm-hmm. and right now I am getting to to um, I'm blessed to be able to work and not only work, but I'm also getting uh, quote hazard pay. Uh, so I'm getting a uh, you know and a really good amount of extra money, uh, which is really cool, and I and I appreciate that a lot. So thank you uh, to my employer for that. Um, so, but it's it, you know a lot of the other people at home that are that are waiting to go back to work or they're waiting on their stimulus check to come and uh you know fan, people I, I definitely do see a light um i definitely uh, am seeing 
or feel like I'm seeing a, a light at the end of the tunnel. And I believe that, that we're definitely going to be able to go back uh, to living life um, the way we did in the past. I think it's just going to be just a, a, you know, a few more weeks and uh, everything's going to get back to normal. And fingers crossed that our Motley Cruise show, uh, it doesn't get canceled or rescheduled, which I, I saw a, I saw a, um, a tweet from Nikki Six or from Motley Crew that said, some fan had went on there and said, please don't cancel the show. And of course their response was, did we say we was canceling the show? <laughs> that was kind of like up yours, you know, but, um, so I, right, I, right. I, I don't think Motley Crue are going to be canceling the show. Now they, some of the shows may get rescheduled, but I think that, that this show, um, is, you know, this tour is going to be, it's going to go on. Uh, we're going to get to see them. And, uh, and I'm thinking that maybe after this Motley Crue may actually end up doing a, um, uh, a world tour so uh fingers crossed for that but uh uh chris another another fun podcast with you my friend charlie it's been a great podcast you i loved shooting back 25 years and talking fall brawl 95 it was a great pay-per-view probably not the best war games pay-per-view ever by wcw the nwa but it had a lot of storylines going into it and going out of it. And um, it was just a nice pay-per-view to see where wrestling was in the mid nineties and really where it was going beyond that. So great to talk about it. Great to reflect. I'm so looking forward to next week and going back into the late eighties with the NWA with you and uh, talking further just about what's going on in general professional wrestling. It's going to be fun. So uh, people, just make sure that you go like our Facebook page. Uh, go subscribe to our um, uh, wh wherever you get your favorite podcast channel. Make sure you, you go in there and subscribe uh, to those uh, to the shows. Download them. Um, and uh, Chris and I are going to keep pumping them out as long as, the, as, long as they let us. So uh, make sure you tune in, and we will uh, talk to you guys next week here on the Binge Buster Show. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for another edition of the Binge Buster Show. Make sure you tune in each week and download us on your favorite podcast platform.